Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift, this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light. Go farther, stay longer. So, Carmen, uh, what have you been doing? Are you still a biologist? I'm. That's a good question. Oh, really? It's like up in the air? No, it's not up in the air at all. That's never been up in the air. But as usual, I'm just still patching things together. And um, let's see, since I was last here. Since you were last in this studio. In this studio, I spent a winter um, helping on a new project that is happening in Washington State. It's a big predator prey interaction project. Tell me more. So I'm already interested. <laughs> well, um, so wolves have been returning to Washington. On their own. On their own. Walking in. Um, just like regular old animals. Just like regular old animals. Not riding, four, not riding helicopters. <laughs> no, not in the back of trucks. Uh, they have four legs and they can travel real far. Can you so tell people they're, where they're coming from? In my part of the state in the Cascades, they're probably coming down from BC. Whereas over in the northeast of the state, they're probably trickling over from, from Idaho. Which um, are trickling over from the Yellowstone reintroduction. Right. And yeah, or and south from, from Canada. Um, oh, so you think that some... So, but is, you think it's fair to say that if you, took, if you look at Washington state, yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that some, it's definitely fair to say that some wolves are coming out of Canada yeah. and would be coming regardless of the Yellowstone work from the yeah. 90s? Yeah. But you, is it fair to say that some are coming from the reintroduction work 
that happened in Yellowstone in the 90s? From them going into Idaho and then flowing over into Washington. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, this has raised questions about what might be happening to um, our ungulate populations. There's a big mule deer herd in the um, Cascades in the Methow Valley where I live. Um, and so that's one of the study areas. They're also looking at possible cougar wolf interactions, other interactions with other... Like what um, happens when a wolf and a cougar get together? Yeah, what happens when they're sharing the landscape? Mm-hmm. Um, and then over, there's another study area over in the northeast area, and there they've got a lot more whitetail and elk, and so they're looking at interactions with, with um, whitetail and elk, and then also with cougars and wolves over there and, and other smaller car- carnivores too. But to do all this these animals need collars on. So um, anyway, back to what I did this winter, I helped put uh, collars on cougars and then we did a, a deer capture effort. So um, so that was a lot of fun. And then over the summer... Can I ask right now? Yeah. How, how, she, how you put them on there? This is a good time for that? On what? How she got the collars on the wolves and the cougars. The wolves already, a lot of them already had have collars on. The state does a continual monitoring. So the state's putting collars on. There was also some collars left over from a project I was on a while ago out of Washington State University um, looking at wolf predation. Um, And so there were already some collars on from that project as well. So the wolves were, that's kind of an ongoing thing. Um, The cougars um, a woman out of University of Washington, a PhD student, is heading that up. And she's um, working in both study areas, and there's houndsmen in both study areas. Actually, Bart George is the one from the Northeast. Boy, um, I got an axe to grind with that guy. <laughs> well, I haven't... Um, well, no, that's not true. I worked with him on the deer captures, but... Um, if you see him, tell him. All right, uh, I'll tell him you got a, you got a problem. A real problem with him. But go on. <laughs> Um, anyway, houndsmen that were incredible and their dogs that were really incredible to work with. Um, so they would just go out when there was, um, you know, it was all snowy. So you're using this snow tracking, snowmobiling around looking for, for cougar tracks. And then, um, if you find cougar tracks that seem fresh, they'd load the dogs up. They had these cool little uh, trailers, snowmobile trailers, to pull the dogs out there and set the dogs on them and they would just work and and find those cats and tree them and then set up nets around the tree and and dart the cat. Oh, really? To catch it? Because they don't want it to get hurt falling out? Right. So you can set up these huge nets. How big of a net? Well, net isn't quite the right word. It's like a big canvas thing and it's it's two of them and so it's it's around the circumference of the tree and then you stretch it out. It's probably a I don't know, 10 or 15 foot diameter. So you got to clear a lot of brush before you string this net, probably. If there's brush in the way, yeah. And then you're pulling it out and tying it off to trees. Huh. Um, and you're trying to guess, you know, where, where it might fall and, and block any dangerous things like rocks, stuff like that. Yeah. So anyway, the idea is that the cougar falls into the net. Once you as hit it with it, the tranquilizer. Right, as it falls asleep. But if it doesn't, if it gets hung up, then um, the... Uh, WDFW biologist who was heading up the capture would put on climbing hooks, climb up there, and, and lower the cat down. So, but usually it seemed like they fell out. 
that's easy from there. Now, when you hit the cougar with the tranquilizer dart, how long does it take before he doses off? As long as it was a good hit and it got a good dose and it got enough, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And this whole time the dogs are just going nuts. And so you got to restrain those dogs. They'll tear that. Yeah, you got to restrain them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Is that done by uh, like a rifle? Mm-hmm. Yep, tranquilizer gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, um, so for capturing mule deer, that was actually really fun. And, and one of the techniques for catching deer is to set up on their winter range huge um, nets, so hundreds of feet of nets. Um, and you set them up in topography that might sort of funnel them towards your nets. And then um, people hide <laughs> in snow forts or whatever little fort they can make amongst these nets. They're kind of set up in, in, in rows and in various places. So everybody's hiding. Meanwhile, well, I, I gotta understand the nets are laid flat. No, no, they're standing up. They're probably I don't know ten feet tall, and maybe strung together, so they might be a couple hundred feet wide. They're like if you had drift, drift nets or something. Got it. So you might have um, sort of layers of them, like a like a stadium, going down a draw or something. Gotcha. Okay. So you're hiding amongst the nets, snow fort, maybe a white sheet over your head or whatever. And um, meanwhile, there are helicopters or a helicopter driving around and they, they pick up deer and sort of slowly, gently push them towards the nets. And the helicopter's going and you're in your fort and you hear the helicopter and your heart starts beating really fast and all of a sudden there's deer just running right at you. They run into the nets and you... Any big giant bucks? They avoided that. <laughs> They avoided that. It was winter, so they didn't have their antlers, but oh. um, we were just collaring does. Um, oh, like you just wanted the does. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, they leap into the net. They get stuck. You hop out of your fort and um, spoon them, basically. So you, you... You run up and start spooning them. You run up and you start <laughs> spooning them. Yeah, you... you Big re- spoon, you're restraining them. Big spoon. <laughs> yeah. Big spoon. Um, and... Uh, Meaning you're... Latching yourself onto the back of the deer. Yeah, so they're they're probably kind of down on the ground, you know, tangled in the net, and you come behind them. You don't approach from the front because they'll so kick you, the right, kick the shit get, out of you. Right, you don't want to get clobbered. You come from behind and sort of just give them a big spoon hug thing uh, with your legs as well. And you want I learned the hard way. You want your your weight towards the back. Um, because otherwise they can get their back feet under them again and they can buck you. Mm. But um, it actually, so, I'm making it sound harder than it was. It no, was, I don't I don't think that, no. Okay. I don't get that sense. I mean, it's, like, it's a strong animal. It is a strong animal. And, and how, 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 how hung up in the fence are they? In the they, mesh? They can get pretty hung up. So you, so you spoon them, you got them, you're, you're grabbing their, their legs so that they're not kicking. And once you've got it restrained, <clears throat> People come Are they up. just bellowing? Sometimes they did. Sometimes they didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just sort of depended on the deer and how worked up they were, I guess. So do you have your face just like really tucked into the side of like the neck so you're not... Yeah, or kind of in the shoulder so you're kay. not getting head butted. Yeah. yeah. And so you're just, you're just, yeah, it's like extremely 
cuddly with with this deer. <laughs> and, and how many might you hook in one in one set? Where we were, we were um, they were pulling in small groups of maybe four, four or five deer. Um, but we had a lot of people, and so deer would hit the nets. Designated tacklers like myself, that was my job, tackle the deer. Then other biologists come, put a, a face cloth on or an eye, like an eye cover. And they just chill right out then, right? They chill right out. And if they aren't getting calm and, you know, they're monitoring their vitals, if their vitals seem a little high or whatever, they can be tranquilized to just help ease them through that. But your goal is to not tranquilize them. Um, it's a pretty fast recovery if you don't, you know, because then they're, they're just going to jump up and hop away. Yeah. It's a pretty fast recovery even with this particular drug, but um, it's, it was pretty easy to just restrain them really quick, slap a collar on, take some measurements, and then they just go on their way. And what's their attitude when they jump back up again? Hmm. Bewildered? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they look like a little like, whoa, what was yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they quickly pull it together and get mm -hmm. out of town. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have, uh, has anybody, have any of the, the, have you guys been checking on any interactions yet? Or is it too soon? Um, I'm not really a part of that project right now, so I'm not completely up to date, but, um. You were just, you were part of the collaring, but not part of the monitoring. Right. So, um, well, yeah, basically. So they, as of the end of this summer, none of them had died from anything my husband actually almost hit one in his <laughs> giant work truck but it oh almost hit a collared one yeah exactly um but otherwise as of the end of the summer they were doing okay i yeah. talked about this before they did a big collaring study one time um up near juno and they had a collared moose i believe it was a moose not a caribou a collared moose fell into a crevasse it was scavenged by a collared grizzly mm. that fell into the crevasse and died too and then those carcasses were scavenged by a collared wolverine that's lots of collars yeah lots of <laughs> stuff with collars yes yeah commingling co yep that's very cool that's the kind of stuff you'll be looking for this study yeah yeah but are there issues in coloring these deer in because you're you're picking them up in really like family groups right well they're um it's on their winter range so they're pretty okay. dense on the range anyway but that was one of the reason they, they were bringing in small groups they'd pick off a couple from a group because we didn't want to get a bunch of callers in a group that's hanging out so i had this very i'm gonna change the story slightly because i don't want to give away information to anybody but um Ooh. we were having a very hard mule deer season in idaho and we all I mean tough hunting yeah okay and pure curiosity uh everybody knows a bunch of biologists and uh, a friend of mine had called and the information that he got was there are only four colored deer left in your unit i went out the next day and found three collared deer in one group. Mm. I was like, huh, what are the odds of that? Yeah, that's like a and thing. Are that's they like doing this poorly? Because I found all three in one spot at the exact same time. But Carmen can speak to this better than I can, but that's 
the you know the 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 survey strategy called mark and recapture would be like let's say you and Carmen correct me where I'm wrong or add color to this after I explain my understanding of mark and recapture but let's say you have a lake and you're like how many walleye are in here anyway okay and you go and pull a seine through the thing and catch a hundred walleye and put a tag in each walleye and then over the course of the weekend you know, guys catch 300 fish, including 90 walleye with a tag in them. You'd be like, I have a pretty good sense of how many walleye are in this lake where we're catching in a sample size of 300, we've got 90% of the collared ones. Or imagine you, you tag 100 walleye and then people fish for three years and pull hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of walleye out of the lake and no one ever finds one with a tag in it. Then you're like, man, there's a shitload of walleye in this lake. Sure. So if you know there's, in a whole unit, right, there's four deer left with collars and you go find three, I'd be like, ain't many deer in this unit. Yes, which, which Just based on is the case. Am I, how's that? Was that a good job? No, yeah, that's a good description of that. The only thing I was going to say is that it might not have been a market capture study. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Oh, no, 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 no. I was no. thinking along the lines of migration corridor. Right. Um, how these deer are moving. Not all the deer move from one spot through one area to the next spot so i was like seems odd to me that 75 percent of the colored deer left are in this very small little hillside that i picked out yeah i want to yeah i didn't mean that i don't want you to think i'm a dumbass <laughs> i didn't mean that as mark catcher i just meant like as a way to say like if i knew there was four yeah right yeah no yeah i get what you're saying i don't think you're dumb I totally followed <laughs> that. That made total sense. I think this is just a different situation. Yeah. Or in my mind, it was. God knows D- what. Probably a different question. Who knows what, what the question was that they were putting collars out there for, but. Yeah. So, no, they weren't doing a bad job. They might Depending have been. On. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm like trying to follow your career now, um, as a, as a oh, you know, budding's not the right word, as an up-and-coming field biologist, you're right now not like you're not you're what are you doing right this second i mean i know you're at right this second but where are you what are you doing right now right now so well wait, are you, you going to be working on another project yeah i have another oh. one coming up right now i'm working as a baker and making coffees for people really yep just and then when's your next project come up in january oh so it won't be long now yeah and that's going to be another deer deer thing i've been doing a lot of deer things lately so over the summer i was doing for the same predator prey project um coordinating the capture season for fawns putting collars on fawns over the northeast part of the state as a part of this to see how what um fawn survival rate is over there as a part of this bigger picture predator prey project so did that and then um yeah Nothing was, was starting up in, in the area that I live right after that. So I've been just working at a bakery, which is great place to be for the fall. And, um, and then next, doing another deer capture project, totally different. This is with um, Department of Transportation because the stretch of highway that goes through the Methow Valley apparently has one of the highest rates of, of roadkill deer in the state. Okay. So going to be collaring deer there and trying to figure out if there are certain habitat variables along stretches of highways where 
of or of that highway where more deer are getting hit. So they're trying to understand if there's like some thing. Yeah, is a habitat study basically trying to see if we can link clues about the habitat to higher collision rates on the road. So that'll be a state level project. It's just in the Methow. So if you, but I'm saying it's conducted by the state. No, this is Washington State University and Department of Transportation. Okay. Yeah. So, like, what's going to happen to you in the long, like, what's going to, what will happen to you in the long run as a biologist? In the long run, I'm... Like, you got to move? Well, that's the thing. that I'm making it hard on myself because I love where I live, um, and I've worked there for so long and on so many different projects that um, I've gotten pretty... Um, attached to that landscape and just passionate about it. And that's the landscape and the wildlife that I want to be working with and, and trying to improve. Um, my husband has a really good job there too. So that's a factor. I have family there. And so I'm, I'm making it, if I wanted to just move around, which I did quite a bit when I was younger, um, it'd be a lot easier to, to find a permanent job, but there's, you know, it's a, it's a tiny place. There's no, no stoplights in this valley. It's it's small, so there's not there's not a lot of permanent jobs. Got you. Yeah. So I'm just biding my time until something does come up and just patching things together. So I'm kind of unusual in that I'm almost thirty five and I'm I'm still patching things together doing field work. But on the other hand, that's really what I love to do is is being out in the field. You want to be day. doing field work. Yeah. And then what happened, because this is the other thing I, I wanted to check back with you in, because I'm interested in your, in your beginning to hunt. Mm. Yeah. So what happened there this year? Yanni said that you said that you had, how'd she say, what'd she say? Long, arduous, challenging, <laughs> maybe. So, no, so it, was, it was a great hunting season. I mean, for... Um, and this, but hold on real quick, though. This is your what's hunting season. Um, is what what isn't a word, but you get what I'm saying. I right? don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tenth, maybe. Tenth. I think so. Almost, maybe. I yeah. So I started hunting. Um, I started getting really intrigued and interested um, in when I was doing my undergrad at Humboldt State University in wildlife. Um, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. Um, did some fishing with my grandpa, whatever, that sort well, of thing. Did you thing, know back then you were going to be a biologist? Yeah. Yeah. I've always known. Yeah. I was in school for wildlife biology and I'd always wanted to do that. Okay. Um, so I was already, um, you know, grew up camping and backpacking and in the outdoors and, and grew up in a rural area. And so um, I knew I loved being outside and, and all that. And I was doing wildlife work and I... Um, yeah, I don't know. Just something about it got me and I wanted to start hunting. And so I just did it and I, I took my hunter safety and... Um, Where'd you do hunter safety? Uh, on Bainbridge Island in Washington in the sportsman's clubhouse. Um, did that and I went... My first hunting trip was with a family friend in Northern California in the Trinity Alps. Um and he had been... Hold on a minute, now back up. I'm, I'm getting not lost, but close to it. Okay. So you're going to school down in Northern California. Yeah. In, in big dope smoking country down at Humboldt. <laughs> That's right. So, 
you're like, hey man, I'd like to get in. Inter- I'd like to get involved in this hunting. Yeah. So you wind up out on Bainbridge Island. Sorry, yeah, that is confusing. Taking hunter safety. Yeah, that's that that's, was the closest place. <laughs> nope, I'm I'm from Washington, over in that area. That was the yeah. So I was just. It was a convenient time exactly. and location yeah. to take it. Yeah, exactly. you were living out on Bainbridge Island. No, but it was near to where my parents live. I was I don't know home on a break or something like that. So you're taking college. a ferry to go do hunter safety. There's a bridge. Oh, cause you're coming from the peninsula side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just had a guest on from Bainbridge. Oh, really? Yeah. The writer, John Muallam. Have you ever heard of him? Mm-mm. Just check him out. All right. Okay. Um, so I get it now. Yeah. So I'm, I was picturing you taking a ferry from somewhere to go to Hunter Safety. No, but you're it coming wasn't that from, You're coming from the Olympic Peninsula. Right. Exactly. Got you. Anyway, so I got that and, um, and yeah, lined up this trip with- um, Back old, down in California. Back down in California with a family friend who had been- Packing, his family had been packing into this particular spot for I don't know, like fifty years or something, um, and I was the first woman, and I think the only one since, <laughs> to ever go to that to that. It's ever gone with him on the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was. And that's not by design, I'm guessing. That's just by the fact that only ten percent of the hunters in America are women. So yeah, statistically. yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't like no girls allowed. No. Didn't have like a little sign. No, no. On the, <laughs> on the clubhouse door, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there are a lot of signs on a lot of clubhouse doors. <laughs> That's true. I was at a thing this year. I was at a thing this year where like, no girls allowed. For real. A, yeah, hunt, a, I, hunting, a hunting thing. I believe it. There are sometimes, you know, signs that aren't there, but you can tell they're there. Yeah, and then sometimes <laughs> there's just signs that are there. Right. Now, I under, not that I condone, it's easier for me to understand that the sign's not there, but it's understood, but it strikes me as really strange when the sign is there. That's pretty ballsy in this day and age. Yeah. yeah. yeah do you think they've it's been in a it. situation <laughs> where women come a-knocking that want, please let me in. Yeah. Read the sign. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens on this trip? So on first and last, first and last girl to ever come with these guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the first time they ever got skunked. <laughs> oh man, yeah. really? Yep. Did they draw a connection? No, but it has always haunted me. You know, because you hear, you know, back in the olden days, no women allowed on the ships and stuff like that. So I've always worried that maybe, you know, somebody might have. How many people were on this trip? It was just my dad and um, this family friend. So there were only three of us. And we got packed in on mules. And, and dropped off. Yep, dropped off. And um, Hunting mule deer. Hunting, no, blacktails. So it was sort of near the coast. East, west of I-5. Yeah. And um, it was awesome. I learned a ton and it was, um, it was a great trip. Did you see some critters? We saw some critters. Apparently it was a... It, it wasn't the curse of having a female there. It was um, a really dry year. Things were different. And there'd also been an article in a hunting magazine about this spot that previously. That, that always year. is a lot of good for spots. <laughs> right. And so there were a lot, a lot of people showed up, whereas normally they, they had the place themselves. So we saw some, some deer and um, I had a blast and I was definitely hooked. Um, but and no, then, they didn't even get a crack. No shots fired. No, there were shots fired. I didn't. I didn't have any shots fired, but there was a miss Who? early on in the trip. The family friend that that we were with. My dad wasn't hunting. He was just along for fun. And oh, yeah, my dad doesn't doesn't hunt. 
So your old man was like, hey, that sounds fun. I'll come along, but I'm not hunting. Yeah. But you're hunting and, and the family friend, mm-hmm. he yep. takes a poke. Yep. Misses. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I got to do more of this. Yep. Yeah. And so then I just started going alone um, or with anybody I could drag along with me. In what states? In Washington after that because I was a Washington resident. So I went um, around the plain area in the North Cascades and just uh, dragged my ass up ridiculously steep mountains in horrible um, vine maple. With little to no guidance. Little to no guidance. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable in the woods. That wasn't it. But as well, yeah, far but as I mean, like it wasn't hunting, like someone's like, hey, man, go here, sit on this. Right. Yeah. little perch and, and observe and you'll see, you know, around 9 a.m. watch a buckle come walking. Right, up. right. You didn't and have it, that kind of intel. No, no intel. Um, but it was a blast. And, you know, I learned, okay, crawling through vine maple isn't, there were deer there. I saw them, but crawling through, through vine maple up these cliffs isn't. Can you describe vine maple? I mean, is it thorny or just No, vine maple is, it's kind of like slide alder, that same sort of idea where it's just really dense branches that you're having to contort through. And if you're going uphill, it's coming downhill and you're trying to get get through it. Oh, yeah, like the way alder branches downhill and grows parallel to the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a real plant that's hard to fall in love with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, same thing. A little anyway. devil's club in there? <laughs> Not on this trip. Alder and yeah. devil's club, man. But like that's the, a the, cocktail of, the cocktail of ruined yeah. hearts, man. But the trinities are not... There's some nasty country in there, and then you got poison oak. Uh-huh, Maybe yeah. I don't get poison oak, spots. so... <laughs> you don't get poison was, oak? No, I'm God, very lucky like man, that, yeah. That's nice. Whoa. Yeah. That's yeah. special. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so so... I want to get the timeline. I'm, I'm trying to establish the chronology of a of a, of a hunter. Not just that, yeah. but we're going to get into the chronology of a female hunter. Okay. The creation of a female hunter. Okay. If you're comfortable with that. Sure. Okay. Which might not even be a thing. I'm going to ask. Okay. But year one. Poot, you cool on all this right now, Pooter? Yeah, I'm good. You tracking? No questions whatsoever. I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure. If something comes up, jump I'll, in. I'll chime in for sure. Right. Ten years ago, you do the trip. Now, I don't expect you to have like a, like a, you haven't kept the hunting journal, have you? No, I haven't. Man, I for years kept hunting journal, extremely detailed hunting journals. It's fascinating to go look at those now. I quit. I wish I hadn't quit. Yeah. Weather, what happened, who I was with, where I was. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it takes like a lot of energy to do it, but my God, I was, I was not too long ago reviewing hunting journals from a long time ago. And it's, I, I, if I had done that my whole life, cause a lot of times I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't know. I know this one spot was pretty sweet, but I can't remember where it was. Mm. And I lost my map book. It hasn't gotten like, that blurry for me yet. There's honest to goodness places where we went and saw bears, spring bear hunting, that I cannot remember where it was that we saw them. But I know that it was like, yeah, there's a slide up some creek, and I just, you know, you remember exactly everything, but it's like, would never be able to walk there again. Because we checked out a lot of drainages. Yeah. And it's become blurry in time. Yeah. So now that you need that level of detail, but what happened the nine, what happened nine years ago? So the year after the first one, is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, that's when I went to plane and crawled around in vine, vine maple, okay. saw some deer through the rain. Nothing happened. Up close deer. Yeah. 
Why does she, she shoot? Because they were does. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So didn't see any bucks. And I you're think, hunting by yourself. Um, that those times I was with some other family friends that I drug along, some um some guys that were younger than me and they'd never hunted either. And you weren't married at this point? Mm-mm. Nope. So you weren't hunting with your husband at all? No. No. So then um I did that I think for a couple years and then let's see. And what happened during all those couple years? Never so- gotten never got anything. But you, were you seeing bucks? Uh, nope. Just does. But see, that's what I'm saying. Now, is why are you still... At, okay, at that point... Okay, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. Um, I wasn't hunting effectively at that point. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew that I wanted to challenge myself and be having a really hard time. So I was doing that. But because I was crawling through vine maple going up these really steep areas... You know, there's no way to be quiet. You couldn't, I wasn't, I didn't have good visibility. I was just bumbling around. I didn't really so know thinking, what I was doing oh, yet. If I walk long enough and hard enough, yeah. I will eventually just, there'll, be a, there'll be a hurting, buck standing there. Exactly. If I'm soaking wet, yeah. I'll I just stumble into one. Yeah. And what, but what kept you wanting to keep doing it? Because people like instant gratification. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was just determined and I, I just love being out there. Um, Were you meantime saying to people at trailheads, like, hey, did you see any deer around? Or were you like running to other hunters? Yeah, I was reading books. I was talking to anybody I could, friends that hunted, that sort of thing. Yeah. And when you read books and the book said, find um, like a good place where you can really observe the surrounding country, that didn't Mm -hmm. make sense because you're in thick stuff. Right. Exactly. You'd so, read it, but it didn't match up like what you were seeing. Right. But so yeah. then I was learning about still hunting. And so I was trying to do that too. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, and this is in Washington, it's a week. You've got a week. And a lot of times I did work during the week. So it, even though it was a couple seasons, it was like days, couple, you I'm know, with you. going you're on a general weekends. firearm. Right. Exactly. General firearm. Right. Beer. So, so not, 10 years, you got two days a year. No, this was just in the beginning. This is, we're just, we're only in years nine, eight, and seven or thereabouts right now. Something like that. I don't remember exactly, okay. but yeah, yeah. So the first. And you're seeing other animals. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing does, seeing, you know, bears and whatever else is out there. Any lions? Mm-mm. Nope. No. Nope. No. Not in those years. Elk? Nope. Not a very elky spot out there. Okay. What's wrong, Giannis? Nothing. Sure? Mm-hmm. Then what happened? Okay, so then um, I decided to move to the Met Howe Valley in the Cascades. Very different scene. It's open there. There's tons of mule deer comparatively. And so I um, I bought my first truck, and it was a stick, which I'd never driven. So I, I drove out there and learned stick on the way and pulled into a spot that I'd briefly... What was the st- truck? It was a Toyota Tacoma. Yeah. Nice rig. Yeah. Yanni's got that same rig. Yeah. Not a Tundra. I'm thinking about getting oh, a Tacoma. Yeah. Is that an upgrade or downgrade, Yanni? It's smaller. Okay. So there you are, driving a stick shift Toyota Tacoma. Yep, for the first time. And I pull into this spot where I decided I was going to hunt. Um, and well, how did you decide this? I looked at maps and then I briefly scouted it and... Yeah, I just sort it, of 
it was a lot of just pulling it out of the hat sort of and still no one has said to you hey go do this Mm, no Mm -mm. i mean i'd I'd learned some from from this family friend on that first trip about you know sitting that so his technique where we went was to you'd hike to these spots that he knew you know they'd consistent consistently gotten deer and it'd be like a, a brushy uh little draw or something and we'd wait and then if that didn't work out we'd go somewhere else Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, 
Head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. But meanwhile, how is it that they're not... Meanwhile, how is it there aren't guys saying, like, come hunt with us? I <laughs> Steve is perplexed that the universe hadn't offered you up some sort of guidance. Yeah, I think, no. Up to that point. I also kind of had a thing where I really wanted to do it alone. Okay. Yeah. Because but, I could imagine, I could imagine that in a, in a small mountain town where men tend to like outnumber women by a lot, okay, that there'd be a lot of guys would be like, um, hey, let's go hunting. And well, I don't mean that as a euphemism. I mean, there's be like, <laughs> yeah. come, like, oh, you, you're like tr- struggling to get into hunting. Come with us. Yeah. You were rejecting those proposals. I wasn't getting those proposals. You weren't even getting those proposals. <laughs> no. I mean, I just, so in the case of the Madhouse, I, I didn't, I mean, I literally pulled right into the camping spot with all my, all my stuff. And were you getting funny looks? Like here's this, lone woman out hunting which is you like i'm sorry you just like it's not something not that it doesn't happen it happens but it's not something you typically see right you see a lot of groups of guys driving around in a truck eating chester fried chicken yep that's (laughs) the thing i see oftentimes i don't oftentimes see um i don't know i don't see chester fried chicken i've yet to see uh uh just a lone female hunter or no, even like a group of female that's hunters. what i'm saying i'm saying i haven't seen it but i know that happens yeah. i know the women right i've yeah. met and hung out with women who do do that but i'm never out no it's rare and yeah. have i'm never like out and i see some orange vest across the valley and i'm thinking about how upsetting that is to me but how it shouldn't be upsetting to me because we're all in this brotherhood together <laughs> right. and then i decide to glass them up through my spot and scope and be like oh it's a woman that never happens yeah, it doesn't. I know I w- damn sure what it is. It's a guy. Yeah. I uh, I think that I'm out in the woods alone a lot for work. and So you don't um, feel and look out of place. I don't know what I look like, but I do get, <laughs> <laughs> I do get comments. I get a lot of... Oh, you do get comments. Yeah. I have people saying, telling me to be careful. Okay. You know, if you run into somebody or... People make comments, yeah. And I, I, um, and how do you reply to those comments? Well, nicely, but it doesn't, it is irksome. It is. It is. I find it irksome. I, it, um, the assumption that I need to be cautioned or, or checked in with because I'm out there alone. I wish it was different. I wish that nobody thought, had a second thought about it. Which, I mean, obviously that's wishful thinking because people are going to have a second thought because they don't see it very often. But it's kind of this this self-perpetuating cycle of... That's uh, a good way of putting it. Yeah. People saying, you know, be careful out there. And so then to women. And so then women being fearful to be out there. Yeah. And I understand that because it's like you want to be... You want to think like why... uh why do you have to act like it's unusual? And some old guy is going to be like, because it is. Right. I'm sorry that you want me to act like it's normal, but it's not normal. So like, we can all pretend, or I can tell you that I hope you're careful. Right. Well, or you could say, 
you know. Have a good hunt. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good luck. It's kind of, I, it's kind of, you can make the metaphor, um, sort of similar. I often, when I pick up a pocket knife, am told, don't hurt yourself. Ooh. You? Yes. My various. How about when you're wrestling deer? <laughs> Not so much, but the, but the irksome part is when I pick up a kitchen knife, nobody ever says that, you know? And so it's, uh. um, it's, it's this unconscious and, you know, it comes from a good place. I don't want you to get hurt, but I also, I don't need somebody to tell me when I pick up a pocket knife to be careful. I know it's sharp. Yeah. Now, I, like everyone at this table besides you comes from a, cre- a place of incredible privilege in this society being like you know white men have Mm -hmm. like a track record of being in charge of stuff around hereabouts right so these sorts of things when i hear about them like i felt like i have this knee-jerk thing to want to like defend the the people Mm -hmm. like oh he means well yeah but how do you deal like when you deal with something like that you recognize you're like come on dude really like, I need to be careful. Maybe you ought to be careful because you look like you're about ready to have a heart attack or <laughs> yeah. whatever you're thinking. Like, do you, are you, do you get mad at the guy or you just sort of get this like perturbed at how culture is? I get perturbed about how culture is. It depends also on how blatant something is. I mean, I think women probably in general are fairly used to or maybe don't even notice comments like that. But um, maybe because I work in wildlife biology and specifically oftentimes with carnivores and, and also hunting, I'm often in an environment that's traditionally male-dominated. Okay. Um, and so um, I am around comments like that more maybe, and I'm also aware of them because... I'm sort of constantly um, fighting those stereotypes and those assumptions that people might be making about me. You're pushing against them. Right. It's easy to walk into, like, walk into a room with another biologist and, and if he's male, people assume that he's a biologist and say, you know, something sciencey to him maybe, but don't assume that I'm a biologist. They're like, have you been paring any vegetables lately? <laughs> Essentially. It, it is culture because I got, I got my own little story to interject here. I used to feel that same irking when I'd be like in a grocery store when I was a stay at home dad doing the grocery shopping and I'd have my eight month old with me, you know, and people would be like, Oh, uh, right. do you know where your mother and your wife is? Uh, you're out here alone in the world with this child. You know, I'm like, come on. You know, yeah. I'm just, yeah, I got it yeah. under control, man. It's fine. I'm going to cook dinner tonight too. <laughs> but yeah, like, and women, They're like, be careful. women, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this is just something no, that happens not. to women. You're not. But, I, I think it is just a, it's a culture thing yeah the the difference is the difference is and this is like something that we're talking about a lot in our culture right now is there's a difference between stereotyping that has teeth and stereotyping that doesn't have teeth right right and in in some directions it's toothed yeah damaging in some directions it's just like weird and annoying 
Right. And in some directions, like with women, it's got a whole nasty history, yeah. too, that goes along with it. But, I mean, being stereotyped into either gender role is, is irksome, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... So, now, do you, have you ever, had you ever been out during these early years of going out hunting? Did you ever have guys that were just outright scamming on you? No, but I didn't, I mean, I wasn't interacting with a lot of people either. I was trying to get away from people. And you never had guys make you uncomfortable out in the woods? No. In trailheads or whatever? No, no. Like, what's a cute little lady like you doing? Oh, well, yeah. But you're rolling that into the annoying... Yeah. Not the I never felt like threatened. That's that's the annoying, not threatening type. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's continue on with the chronology. Okay. I'm yeah. going to return to this. Okay. I'm going to return to aspects of this. Okay. Not that aspect, but other aspects of, okay. of, of the female hunter experience. Okay. Um, yeah. So pull into- Can I have another quick question? Yes. Do you have a lot of pink stuff on all your stuff? I have zero pink stuff. Okay. Yeah. So um, Mm-hmm. Um, I think in year seven I did or eight. And what happened? Well, but we missed the my first big solo trip was oh. when I first. Well, let's back up to yeah, that. Yeah, let's back up because this was where I learned. I learned a lot. Um, and a stepping stone, milestone. It, yeah. Yep. So I I pull into the Menhow Valley. I'm moving here, learning stick. Um, starting a new life here. Um, but Real I pulled, quick, what was, was it for work? It was because uh, my sister had just moved there. She was about to have a baby. Okay. Um, I knew I loved the area, and I knew um, I, I liked working in um, high mountain areas with carnivores, and it's a really rich environment there with... Um, you know, lynx and wolverines and, and bears and everything else. Okay. So, so just like, you're like making a kind of a move to a greener pastures, but not some overwhelming, like specific thing you're chasing at. Right. Yeah. And I wanted, I'd been traveling around doing different field projects all over the country and I was starting, which I loved, but I was starting to want um, a community and to sort of settle down, I guess. Yeah. So um, I, I just chose that spot. Um. But anyway, this was day one, and I, I pulled into this place where I wanted to camp, and I spent the next um, eight days hunting every day. Um, by yourself? By myself. And Car w- camping? Yep. I'd hike back to my truck every day, um, and it was incredible. I got to know this mountain really well, and I was seeing... I should have shot probably five bucks that trip. Um, I had opportunities the stumbling block there was just um i was really worried about um i don't know it was like i wasn't good yet at no because it's a three-point minimum and i um i wasn't good yet at quickly figuring that out which sounds weird meaning the box had to have three times three times yeah exactly so Um, it had to be a michigan six or a western three-point uh, well, it could be. Uh, it could only have one antler. As long oh as yeah, it had three. yeah, I got you. Those doesn't even be Michigan. Right. Sex. Yeah. As long as one antler has three points. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I had some incredible moments with bucks, and it was a blast. Um, so you'd see the buck, and you'd be like, there'd be a pause, 
where you just wanted to really extra careful sure right. that there was no surprises when you got over there. Right. I also had real shitty optics. And is this still really thick country? Um, no. No. More it was open. more open. Okay. Yeah. The particular mountain I was on was a little thicker, but in general it was more open, yeah. What, so, are the, uh, what do you mean? What, what are the optics? I don't know. Off-brand. Binoculars. Yeah. Okay. But things that I know now, like, okay, if I saw that animal again with my binoculars now, I would know exactly what it was, that it was legal. Um, so in hindsight, you feel like there are some legal bucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I know. Like, I can picture the rag. Now I that you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and also just, I don't know, that those those probably is something that people who've grown up hunting don't think about but for me the the being out there was not what was hard figuring out just sort of smart ways to hunt was something i i had learned in the years before that but then those final moments between getting something in your sights and pulling the trigger was for me a um that was the stumbling block just all the little decisions and and I had a lot of you know fears and anxieties about what could go wrong Mm -hmm. and so that was a stumbling block but if I hadn't been alone maybe I I probably would have gotten a deer because I might have had somebody to say hey go for it um but I'm also glad that I I did that trip by myself and glad you didn't screw up and shoot an illegal buck right yep yeah yeah, because, uh, you know, as a guide, we see that a lot, you know. People have a real easy time getting kind of up until that moment, and then when it's just like, you'd be like, yeah, peek over that hill and kill that deer or kill that bull, mm-hmm. they kind of look at you like, uh, what What now? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean is like peek over that hill and kill that bull? And you're like, well, take about four steps and really slowly with your gun already up, you know, like no one, you know, and... There's like you're saying, there's like a thousand little things going through your head and it's, uh, we kind of coined a term for it, right? Like just those last few moments of like when you really go into like a kind of a kill mode, you know, Mm -hmm. and everything else just disappears and Mm -hmm. you're like, now it's going down. Yeah. Some people lack that decisiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just too caught up in my anxiety about was this going to be exactly right? Was it going to go exactly right? So we were one time, uh, you know, there's a similar restriction with doll sheep where rather than counting three points, there's like things that make a doll sheep legal right. or not legal. Yeah. Like that when viewed from the side, their horn describes a 360 degree circle or that both of the land lamb tips that each lamb tip is completely broken off. Or that it has seven annuli, mm-hmm. seven growth rings. So if they're not obviously full curl, it gets really difficult. Yeah. And we were hunting with a guy one time where we observed one, said that's a legal ram. And he stalked it and got up into range and we never heard, you know, the blouch. And he comes back. He's like, I just don't think it's legal. Yeah. And then... He had he left early and then we went and refound it and shot it. Legal ram. It was like is that, that yeah. doubt. Exactly. But people that have that doubt are uh it's good to have that kind of doubt. Yeah. Because the opposite Right. That can get you in a tree spot. It's just the trick is like <laughs> the trigger happy Yeah. 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 Feller. 
Right. So didn't didn't get a deer. Um, anyway, started living but you, in. But you kept at it for eight days. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I kept at it. It was a blast. I, I mean, just being out there and actually seeing that many deer compared to the years before where I hadn't been, that was exciting enough. And how many miles were you straying from your truck? I don't know. I, was, I wasn't keeping track, but I mean, I'd be out all, all day hiking around. Running into other hunters a little bit? Mm, not much. Yeah. Is that still a good spot? Um, I've been there since then and nope, I've never, se- I haven't spent that much time, but I have never seen that as many deer as I did that year. So it's a good year to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I started living and working in the Meha Valley and, um, just hunting every year, just, a, you know, it's a short season and met my husband, he hunts. And so we started hun- hunting together, um, which was which is, it's great. I love So how'd you meet him? Um, I was, let's see. I, it was the first winter that I moved there. And so I was, um, helping with a lynx trapping effort and also working at a bakery and making coffee. And he is a lineman and his, his crew was working in the area, uh, that area of the valley where the bakery was and yeah, came into the coffee shop. Got you. Yeah. And were you like, um, was it quickly established that he liked to hunt and you liked to hunt? Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, anyway, we started hunting together, which was a whole nother journey. Um, just for me, adjusting to hunting with somebody else really was a big part of it. Um, like in a negative way. Um, yeah, I liked hunting alone. I do like hunting alone. Um, but I also like hunting with other people. It was just meshing our, our styles and, um, and yeah, getting used to consistently hunting with somebody else. And I think that, you know, now we're married and we've been together for a long time and, you know, when we go on hunting trips, you might, you're not always the comfortable you're tired you're cold you're hungry and so uh, when you're with somebody who you don't have to be on your best behavior with <laughs> um gotcha. you know it can get squabbly and stuff but we're it's getting more and more um harmonious and it's always been been great to hunt with him it's um it's pretty cool to do that with with somebody that i'm not close with so um but anyway, back to the hunting journey. So we just started hunting together and um, finally got my, my first buck and we were hunting together and it was, it was, it was perfect. It was a great spot in stock and um, yeah, so that was a great experience. And then. And so what happened with that? Like, how'd you feel about that then? Did you feel like finally? It felt like finally. Yep. Yeah. And it felt really satisfying and um and it, it wasn't a huge buck or anything. I was really proud. Did you get it the way you wanted to get it? Like, yep. were you still kind of doing it on your own? No, we were together, but we were working together so well. It felt, it felt really good. We spotted the buck a ways away and it was maybe an hour of stalking. And then, and I was out in front and peeked over this rock and the buck was bedded down maybe 40 yards from me. Oh, so really? it was, Sweet. yeah. So it was, it was perfect. Yeah. Cool. Now, did you, uh, have, what was your emotional response? 
Were there outward manifestations of emotion? Probably. <laughs> like what yeah. sort? I think that, um, I mean, you know, classic sort of things that you would see. Was it sadness or was it like real jumping up and down happy? It was, um, I don't, I wasn't jumping up and down, but it was happy. It was relief. I, there might've been a tear or two. Is that what you're getting at? Well, <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> am. I am. I thought so. Cause I bet I've, uh, yeah, I've had the good fortune to hunt with quite a few women over the years. And, um, there's a, I, I, and, and it's hard to understand. I don't know if it's, that it's a freer if it's like a freer sort of expression yeah or if it's like some kind of innate thing or trained thing but i find that the emotional response based on a, a, a admittedly small sample size i find that the emotional response is often different yeah well okay what about this though lay it on me could that be more that these are people who are experiencing their first Yes. Deer kill later in life. Yes. Right. I think, that's you know. What so I don't, that's what, yeah, that's exactly right. Because the cases I'm thinking of are people being introduced to hunting as adults. Right. Whereas I'm hunting with a lot of guys who've hunted their whole life and all the shock is worn off. Right. All the yeah. surprises, not the shock, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. All the like, holy shit. Yeah. I've seen plenty of man tears out there. Yeah. I have since then. I, shit, I was on the verge this year with my mule deer. I had a guy just telling me too. You know, it's funny. Who was just telling me they cried when they got something? I've seen. No, you told me you damn near cried. Yeah, you told me you damn near cried. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So that's what you think is going on. I think so. I mean, for me, it wasn't um, sadness. It was just there had been so much buildup, and then there was the adrenaline going, and I cry easily anyway. I don't. I was not crying. There were a couple tears. I think it was just kind of the release of all the all the build up to that moment. You know, I saw Yanni's uh Yanni's dad. Yanni's dad shed a tear. When? <laughs> um, when he got his moose. All right, cuz you got to well, I was saying I'm just wondering I'm like you weren't there because when people well, we say got to watch it on TV later. Did you take any <laughs> pictures on your hunting trip? I'm like, we took a hunting show on our <laughs> that's right that's i right. see everything i got an eye in the sky when i review footage and yeah yanni's dad was moved emotionally um so sure i'm not going to give up though i'm not going to give up on the idea that i think it's more common well i mean let me be clear that i think it's a, a higher i'm not going to give up on this idea that i think that, 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 that there's a higher likelihood and, and i'm not going to say what what factors are at play a higher likelihood that a female hunter will experience the emotions, not experience them differently, but like, but the outward manifestations might be different. Specifically, there might be tears. Is that what you mean? No, I think that a that there's a greater likelihood of of emotions beyond just hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Here's a little theory. Please. Is that Back to what we were talking about with gender stereotypes. Okay. It's more acceptable in women, right, in our society, less acceptable in our society. That's what I want. That's what I, right. that's what Very I wonder. Very good point. About. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm like 
getting at or wondering about. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's, that it's, that I see you saying outward manifestations. Yeah. The feeling could be the same. And we only know about what happens when we're present. Right. So whose principle is it that just by observing something, you change it? Heidelberg? Heidelberg principle? I don't know. Off the top of my head. He's talking about, ast- he's talking about ast- uh, astronomy. Not astrology, but astronomy. And there's this idea that by observing something, you change it. So it's not really that what that dude was talking about isn't really the same thing as what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is by observing in this interaction, you are changing it because you're a presence. So I don't think that I'm not postulating or I'm not saying that like, oh, a woman experiences shooting a deer differently than a man. It's just that a guy might say of the 10 things I'm feeling right now, I can tell you the one I'm not going to act on. Right. Because guys don't exactly cry. Yeah. Or guys don't act like they're conflicted. Right. Yeah. So I would agree with that. I will theory. act like I'm not conflicted and act like I'm not about to cry. Right. Right. I think the last time I had it when I killed a big game animal, it was pure um, like relief type of tears yeah yeah. it was like day five or six of the haunt and i had been just humping some serious hills and was worn out and just fatigued probably hungry lost like five pounds that week and finally it's like standing over a dead elk and just like kind of like crying for no reason and you're like it's just like the relief you're like finally yeah you know i got it it done yeah i've been just like pounding pushing 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 you know that was part of it for me that year too because i'd been hunting on the weekends really hard. And then during the week I was working every day. So I'd get up and hunt out behind the house before work, go to work, which was hiking all day, going to, um, wolf kill sites. And then I come home and hunt more. And so I was just kind of worn out by that. When you're going to wolf kill sites and then having a tough time hunting, were you ever like, man, these wolves, (laughs) 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 these wolves have this dialed. No, because they actually don't really have it dialed. They don't have it dialed? No, the, I think their success rate is, it's not what people might think it was. And a lot of, so going to wolf kill sites, you're going to um, places where there's clusters, of, they've got collars on taking GPS points every uh, two hours. So you're going to places that are, have clusters of points. Yeah, it's not like you know something died, you just right. know that something went on. Right, and so most of those places are bedding sites. Gotcha. Or just whatever. But you got to go check. Out. Right. Exactly. So, it must um, be fun no, to spend that much time where wolves have been hanging out. Oh, it's awesome. Just and you're following around the same pack. And so, um, yeah, you get to kind of know what, what they're doing and what their deal is. It's just really how cool. how they use the landscape and mm-hmm. where their spots are. And, um, and going to kill sites is just fun. It's really cool because you're, you know poking around, trying to figure out exactly what happened, who's been there scavenging, were they actually scavenging? There's, um, yeah, it's fun. It takes a lot of tracking skills, which I enjoy doing. So which, Yeah, which you probably developed. But I want to make sure we put this thing to, I want to make sure we put this thing to rest because I feel like, I feel like you don't like what I'm saying or getting at when I ask about the crying. Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, I don't have a problem with it. No, no problem with it. <laughs> I just, it, um, I just knew that was probably where you're going with it. How did you know that's where I was going with it? Um, because it's um, 
I knew it was probably expected that a no. woman would be more emotional. And no, but, no, and it's no. Not, <laughs> I, no, not but expected. it's not you, but if you, you fit into a bigger, a bigger pattern. Oh, come on. Now. Yeah, yeah. What is the pattern? I agree with Carmen. <laughs> but you also I fit into a bigger pattern. No, the, the, oh. by trying to have... By Before try- you asked the question or got to your point that you sort of could have just polled a group of people and been sort of been like, what's well, possibly like a question that we'll get to, you know? Bullshit. Really? Yeah. Here I am. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to. No. It's I not like you did anything like this. wrong. This is like this. Here's what, how I picture this. This is where I get to, um, where I get to have a conversation with a person I respect, whose opinions I respect, and I get to ask them all the things that guys wonder about women about hunting. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to ask this next, but I'm going to ask it now. Okay. The reason being, and this is something that you and I have discussed at length, Giannis, we keep being told, right, but we keep being told in, in the media, in the outdoor media, that there is such a thing as the female hunter, and the female perspective is needed in hunting, and, which I agree with wholeheartedly. But Giannis is always saying, like, but is it really... How do we know that it is, that there is such a thing? Maybe it's just hunting. Yeah. And that's, and therein, and I want to lay the second part, because therein lies the issue. We're saying that it's no different. It should be no different. We should all be treated as equals, but there's a lot of people who are very invested in this idea of enhancing, developing, bringing out the female perspective which they tell us is no different. I'm just saying, it, like, I have my own opinions about this. Yeah, okay. I'm saying, like, one might survey the cultural dialogue surrounding women in the outdoors and come to the conclusion that, like, let me make sure I'm getting this right. The female perspective is important, but it's not different. Okay, I have a And there's, there's tension between those two ideas. Yeah. But they live side by side like friends. Right, yeah, yeah. I would say to that a lot of things. <laughs> Not what? that I have a, a, a problem with anything that you've just said, but I have thought how about... Have, how could you have a problem no, yeah, with yeah, and I don't. I don't I, now I'm just feeling like I need to defend the fact that, <laughs> that you felt like you were uh, needing to defend yourself. No, I totally... Because I agree with you because I've thought a lot about this obviously you have yeah great because I, knew, I knew you had because, because I, stereotyped yeah, I was gonna you. <laughs> even ask that specific question and and maybe or i should have earlier because i was just wondering like have you spent time like sitting around in the woods when the hunting's slow thinking about this thing that we're now gonna engage yeah in? yeah i'll tell you what i damn sure haven't done is i have never sat out in the woods and being like as a man i feel this <laughs> right yeah right. <laughs> Well, what I've come to is if there is a special female perspective on hunting, I'm not really sure what that would be. I personally don't feel like I have a a special perspective on it. I feel like where we should be, um, what people mean when when they say that we should be equal, it doesn't have to do with 
the perspective, but in how women are represented and, and treated Listen, out in the I field. Under- that's not the mysterious part to me. I, I would love to hear you talk about it. I completely understand that. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, I don't know that anybody's trying to say um, that women have this different perspective no, and they that's are. important. No, no, yeah, but that, that, but that it's the same at the same time. Okay. I mean, I think you can bring different things to the table, but where it needs to be equal is how you're treated at the table. If that makes any sense. It makes a ton of sense. Right. So I, um, you know, I don't want to be treated any, any differently when I'm out there. It would be nice to see equal representation in hunting. You know, if, if it'd be great to go on TV and, and see as many women killing it out there and being inspired by that and being inspired, maybe not even consciously, but just seeing women doing that helps you to realize you can do it too. Um, and, and just by the fact that there aren't as many women out there doing it and that when people are talking about hunting, it's all talking about men predominantly. Um, it just every time kind of reinforces the, um, the stereotype in everybody's brain, women included, that this isn't an activity for us. This isn't something that I could excel at. Can you think of forms of... Describe for me the ways that you see female hunters represented or how they represent themselves in in media like like what are the what are the things that you see do you um, have do you have categories of representations not, well i don't watch a whole lot of tv or so you, i don't, you don't have look a, at like hunting magazines and stuff. no i do i watch a lot of youtube hunting videos okay um and they're mostly men but i um there was one i saw lately of a woman just out there hunting by herself, high country mule deer, and she was just, it was really exciting and cool for me to see, to see that. Because it was that, it was that it happened to be a woman. Right. Out hunting, but it wasn't the point of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so then you noticed it, and it resonated with you. Yep, I noticed it, it resonated with me, and it, um, yeah, and she was just she was doing it alone, and that was neat to see. If you're watching, okay, let, let's say watching YouTube videos. If you're watching a YouTube video and you and you stumble across a video where the point of the video is to point out that here I am, a woman out hunting, does that resonate with you, or do yeah, you not like I to mean, see I, it articulated? No, I think it's it's great to articulate it because women are underrepresented if you can um you know bring attention to the few women that are doing it i think that that's great yeah it's the um it's just not seeing it as much and not being ex- exposed to lots of uh women it it it's not completely normalized you know yeah and so that's why people have have a little double take when they see women in the woods. It's because it's not normalized, it's, and it's it's back to that self perpetuating thing where it's not 
normalized for women, women to be out there. They're not, you know, hearing stories about other, you know, their mom or whatever going out there hunting. They're not seeing it on TV. They're walking into, you know, hunting stores and it's getting a lot better. But it used to be that the only camo for women was like bikinis and underwear. And so just seeing those little things daily, it just paints a bigger maybe subconscious picture that this this isn't something that women do maybe they can't do it as well or or whatever but that can we, can i think we pause, can we pause for a moment to talk about camouflage underwear yeah okay there's there's i know what you're talking about because there's like camouflage is, is, is uh is fredericks of hollywood still in business <laughs> i don't know can you type it up <laughs> there's that type uh, of camouflage underwear. private browser but Cal, first light you guys at first light yes. make camouflage men's underwear why? We make camouflage women's underwear too. Why? Because it they are in For business. Some they are odd I reason. Bet they got a camel line. I'm not going to go find that. <laughs> no, I don't need you to. I just want to know because I didn't know if I was dated when I. I pro- it's very dated to point it out, but I just want to make sure I wasn't so dated that it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> okay, when it started out, you know, very small company. Minimum- bear, bear, I want to interrupt my own. Inter- I want to go for it. Hold, bear with me for a minute. I'm, hmm. This, I want to get back to this, but I just really need to. This is a question I've had too. I need so to pursue this, this for a yeah, moment. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, I mean, there are, and we're at Shot Show. We'd be right across the way from. Uh, remember when we were in the corner at Shot? The booth right across from us was had like, like the sexy camo. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like God, why do we have to be well, here? That, but I, but I understand. Okay, but is. okay, but when it started out for us, uh, you know, very small company and yeah we would dye merino wool you know the uh what's now a conifer not green uh black dry earth um and uh fusion right without really knowing what you're going to make out of it but you have to at least get to your moq your minimum order quantity just to get the stuff produced so we got to this point where like well we got to make everything in everything just to hit our moq okay and that's how it started but i was like why the hell are we making camo boxers the thing is they outsold the solid colors now who is buying them is it a dude buying them or is it and i always said you know it's grandma buying like, like, oh, Billy it's, likes camo. Well, I know Christmas. he needs new underwear. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, it sells. So now it's it's there. Dude, I had, so I had a pair of your camo boxers on. Yep. First off, I put them on, and my lovely wife pointed out that did, did not let that go unobserved, uh, un, uncommented on. Mm-hmm. She had to comment on her surprise, and we had a little laugh about it. Then in the middle of the night, my two-year-old, comes in our room because he is wet and now that's not doesn't fly with him anymore he needs to come let someone know so i hop out of bed in my camo boxers and i'm trying to be like shh because shh, jimmy rolls you're sleeping and we be quiet and he is screaming what's that underwear what's that underwear <laughs> it struck him like yeah we were talking the other day how little kids know to be afraid of snakes and spiders but he knew that he had not encountered underwear like that in his day. <laughs> and it really just struck me like, you know what? I don't know what is that underwear. <laughs> <laughs> so people really do want, they want it. 
And, and it's People like want camo everything, but it's boxers, so it's not like like I can see a guy. Dude's hiking them too. I can see a Long guy. There's a guy that yeah. likes to hunt. It's Christmas time, and he gets his wife some stuff that she actually wants, and he's like, "Yeah, it was for fun. I'm gonna get her uh, some camouflage lingerie just to have a laugh, right?" And so he would buy the camouflage lingerie, but that's not who's buying technical merino technical underwear yeah man i i truly don't i'm from the dude who buys his lady lingerie and camo who you point who you to, point to the oh just okay guy <laughs> who has he's going to both ends of the spectrum is I what see. i'm articulating here i don't understand any of it so you're as puzzled yeah and and everybody is too but the thing is it's it's great for me because yeah. when i go on a trip i'm like yeah, or the black ones for five days. Now I can move on to the camel ones. And later you're like, Shit, I gotta go back to the black ones. <laughs> exactly. I find myself on long trips like that. I find myself, yeah, I'll change my undies a while later. I'm like, if you balance the days out, I should really go back to the dirty pair because I got four on those and six on these. I'm gonna jump back to my dirty. <laughs> uh, Pooter, what? Um, can I see your underwear real quick? <laughs> <laughs> what color are you running? I don't know. I think gray, maybe. Solid gray. Solid gray. Yanni? Not real tree. Blue. <laughs> oh, you got like a fish kind. Oh, yeah, there's fish and deer <laughs> on there. <laughs> All right, so where were we? No, okay. Um... I'm glad you stopped and we didn't go all the way around the horn on that one. <laughs> yeah, Cal, do you got a pair of camels on? I don't. On first <laughs> basement. <laughs> <laughs> so freeze uh, <clears throat> right, I'm sorry how, how did what came up that I that I needed to well uh, <laughs> the camel section in some of these big oh, hunting stories walking into a camel yeah. section yeah. but do you really but there were no female hunt yeah I'm right. sorry Carmen's point was there were no female hunting clothing at for all for reals hunting clothing yes yeah. but would that actually bother you well, yeah, it, it did. <laughs> yeah. For what reason? Why did that bother you? Well, first of all... Because of what it symbolized or because it was impractical? Both. Both. Okay. Because it was just, you know, you'd go in and be like, really, this is all there is, is bikinis. There's nothing here Come for you'd me. you be in a store yeah. that had men's hunting apparel yep. and then women's bikinis. Exactly. There might be a couple items for okay. women, but pretty much... You know, it was maybe a rack and then a rack of like camo underwear and stuff for women. And that would be and targeted would be towards it. the men shopping in the store, right? Yeah. I actually might, now that I think about it, I think I'm buying my wife a set of these <laughs> for this Christmas. <laughs> Let me know. Hook you up. No. I mean the other oh, kind. The bikini. Not the kind you guys have. Oh, okay. I don't mean a practical set. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Just, you know. Just to, it's free country. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so it bugged you because of what it symbolized. And because it was impractical, yeah. But did you look at it and think this? Did you ever look at it and go, well, I guess it makes sense. Because yeah. 10%. Who are they going to sell it to? Because a lot of companies don't make left-handed stuff. Right. And that's a higher percent. There, a higher percentage of the American population is left-handed than the female percentage of licensed hunters. 
I get that. The the frustrating thing. Because I feel burned when a company is not making a left-handed product. That's tough. But I don't feel burned by what it all means. Right. Well, because I feel it's burned not by the practicality. They, right. Yeah. Because they've got nothing please, against. I, I, please, I'm not equating being left-handed to being. No. Left-handed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, but it's still frustrating because part of that is that's that feedback thing where when all signs are pointing towards women don't hunt and not encouraging women to hunt, mm-hmm. there's not going to be women hunting or not many women hunting. So there's not going to be many clothes sold for women. So there's not going to be many, many women hunting and on and on. So but it, do you it's think that a that. woman would actually not, cause I, I see this mentioned now and then that that's a barrier to entry. I have a hard time picturing that there's in the history of this country has been a woman who is like, uh, man, I would love to go hunting, but I just can't because there's not specific <laughs> female hunting clothing. Right. No. There is no way that's happening. No, no, no. Yeah, but it's 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 stacking all of these little signs up together. That say we don't want you here. Yes, I believe in that part. Yeah. I believe I in the the the, yeah. the the accumulation of these little no girls allowed on the yeah. clubhouse. Yeah, exactly. The accumulation of unwritten notices. Yep, exactly. notices. For women's entire lives. And it's not just women don't hunt. It's little cues their entire lives from when they're babies on to be careful, don't take risks, um, don't be outside alone. It, it's kind of, it's more than just don't hunt. It's It's a a stack of cues that we're getting our whole lives. Are you getting it from your family? You personally, from everybody. Your family? Um, no, I mean my my um, my parents are very adventurous and always encouraged us to do whatever we wanted. My sister and I. Um, so my, you haven't felt it like that, no, like disapproval from your father. Oh no, 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 no. My dad's a botanist, and so I grew up out in the woods with him all the time. Um, my mom, they, you know, took us backpacking and everything else. And my mom, um, my mom is an artist. Um, her main medium is cow intestines, and you don't say, yeah, or pig. Um, and, and what is she doing with these intestines? So it's, or fish skins or lots of different sort of, um, organic, uh, medium materials. And it's, it's not like creepy or macabre I'm not getting a creepy vibe at all. Yeah, no, it's actually really beautiful. She does sculpture stuff and it's, um, she takes the gut and, and, um, slices it up so that it lays flat and dries it either around a form or dries it flat and then and that's her medium like you know I don't know paper would be or something so she might stretch it around a frame of sticks that are made into a boat or um, make it into like a book all sorts of things what's the is it a umiak what's the word you know the walrus skin mm, I don't walrus know. skin boats yeah, that was part of the inspiration for for those boats that she How made. That, I that think the yeah. way that material looks. Yeah, S- slightly translucent. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you can you can see light through it. Yeah. So anyway, I grew up. Um, I'm just yeah. So she's not exactly a stereotypical. We're going to have her on next time. Bring her along. <laughs> yeah. She's great. More about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out a chunk of gut and I'll be like, make me something. <laughs> 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 two hours. Yeah. yeah. I'm at it. So I grew up in a house where you'd 
open a yogurt container in the fridge and it might not be yogurt. Might be a little scraps of meat scrap. It could be gut. It could be, or whatever. I mean, she also, she was um, actually uh, went to Humboldt State too and she worked in their vertebrate museum and skinning and, and stuffing animals. And so... So she wasn't so going to tell you. So she's no. not going to tell you that girls shouldn't be out cutting stuff up. Right. Exactly. Yep. All right. So you had a, you had a, I don't want to say atypical, but yeah, maybe yeah. an atypical. Upbringing. Yeah. So it was a, it was a science biology focused family, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Now, the next thing I want to ask you about what, when you see, okay, now, because we're on the subject of apparel and gear. Uh-huh. All right. Um, when you go into a sporting goods store and they now have a full line of female apparel, mm-hmm. but it's all got a bunch of pink stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking, thank God, or are you like, man, do they overcorrect? Or is it some other kind of like, I don't really know what to make of this. It doesn't need to be one of those choices, Yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the pink stuff. I mean, to me, it's, um, is it actually technically good gear? Does it work? I think that um, kind of gets back to that we're women in the field and that's special, but we want to be equal. I, if, um, I think that I'm a quite feminine person. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to all of a sudden feel comfortable wearing um i mean i'm I'm not gonna wear like really man macho clothes just to fit in i'm gonna f- wear what i feel comfortable with when i when i work with in the field which is most days i mean i'm not dressing in any sort of macho way or anything i'm wearing what i what i feel comfortable in and so if women feel more comfortable in clothes that have a little bit of a feminine flair um i don't personally have any pink camo but if that's what feels comfortable i don't yeah i don't need so to it doesn't focus make on you, that it doesn't make you nauseous to see it no i mean if it it might to my eye look ridiculous but i don't whatever anybody wants to wear if it works and is comfortable and is practical yeah, I don't. I think you can be feminine and be a badass in the field at the same time. Last year, Wisconsin, and maybe some other states. Yanni, you might know the answer to this. Yeah, I think a few others. I don't know who passed some legislation. I think Montana. Did they? Yeah. Passed some legislation. Well, I, I know what happened in Wisconsin. I know it was one of the rare things where the, all the politicians of Wisconsin could all agree on this. And it was like a quick, all easy... All the dudes got together and It was decided. a quick, easy thing to decide that um, the reason women aren't out hunting is because they just don't like blaze orange. If you allowed them to wear blaze pink, they would flock to the woods. So once this problem was identified, they quickly got in and pulled together and and legalized blaze yeah, pink. Yeah, problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you hear about a rule like that, what do you, when I tell you that, what do you, what jumps to your mind? That that's really ignorant and ridiculous. It does. That's not the problem. <laughs> yeah. You don't think that's the problem? No, absolutely not. I mean, maybe you could make it into the problem sort of symbolically, like, um, 
we need to make the hunt the the image of hunting um I don't know. Taking something the that, sign off the door that says no girls allowed and saying welcome. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Here's the problem I had with it. Have with it. I don't think of blaze orange as being like a man color. <laughs> if you, to be legal, had to wear a face mask with a mustache painted on it. Okay. And, one, and that was just how it always was. So anytime a woman wants to go out in the field, <laughs> she has to have a mask with a mustache. <laughs> and later a state's like, man, I just feel like the mustaches are a bit much for the female hunters. Let's pass a law saying you can wear a mask with no mustache. I'd be like, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. I agree with this new no mustache law because a mustache, when I see it, exceptions aside, screams man to me. Yeah. But I don't think of blaze orange as being gender specific. Yeah, I don't either. I think that that was kind of a um, not great idea they had. I, yeah, I would really be surprised if that changed anything drastically. Okay. There's no scientific data, polling data whatsoever to back that thing up. Like, that no women were like, oh, bro, I'm dying to hunt. Ain't yeah. doing it in blaze orange. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Uh, so not for me. I mean, very quickly when... And I, I mean, I've, I've seen this, and that's why this law was very irksome to me. I wrote a few letters on it. Um, what law? The pink? Yes. You got to, you wrote letters about it. I I didn't care that much. I I. It's just an email these days. <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of email addresses on file. Um, but so we put together a women's line. We had a panel of fifty women from young to old, uh, skinny to wide all across the spectrum of um of skill level or uh days in the woods i guess uh, and that's how we developed our line and then and we decided that we weren't going to have any pink on anything right and when we launched it uh interest industry facing at uh, shot show and we're showing it to buyers for all these stores who are overwhelmingly male very often we would get, hey, this is really nice, but you know what you should do? Pink accents. Put a little pink on there. To say, yeah. this is for you. And they'd be like, huh? Huh? A little insider <laughs> info for you guys, helping you out. You boys in Idaho might not be aware. And <laughs> this, yeah, the Blaze Pink Law, man, it is the same thing. It's a bunch of dudes being like, all right. Yeah. pink up these woods. Give them what they want. Yeah. yeah. They want pink. Well, like, and that's what is irksome about the pink is that it, that that is their idea of what women are going to want or what it makes them comfortable or something. I mean, if it is, that's great, but um, it feels a little bit frivolous to think that that's what's, you know, going to do it for women. That was the problem. Yeah, yeah. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. 
I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. What's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply get incredible deals on premium cuts from butcher box do you like free protein for a whole year well deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store i at home well i got two freezers but you know what i'm saying i like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff i like feeling prepared man when i come home and it's time to make dinner i like to go in i got all my proteins lined up in there just makes me feel good about stuff and with butcher box you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer it means fewer trips to the grocery store delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always you get a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value you'll get exclusive deals as a member too. sign up at butcherbox.com slash meat eater and get our special deal butcherbox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional twenty dollars off choose salmon chicken breast or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. And I just don't like little things like that tying down valuable time when any form of government is in session. Like, yeah, there's a few other there's, things that yeah, may... there's some bigger fish. Well, they want to go with some slam dunks now and then. Yeah, they definitely do. And you know, Wisconsin, I'll always love Wisconsin because they went from having a case law where you had every gun in a case to being a no case state. Very convenient. So now you just put your gun in the bag and I'm going to have a case. So the place has my, uh, you know, undying affection. <laughs> so they don't, all the slam dunkers that they get through, I'm behind some of them. Yanni, are you typing down thoughts that you'd like to ask Carmen? No, I was reading up on uh, how the Blaze Pink thing got started and just seeing where, like, the genesis of it was. All right, Carmen, now. Yeah. Is there anything, now that we've had uh, 
we, the guys here might have more. I've asked a lot, pretty much all of my ask a woman questions. Do you have questions that you've ever wished you could ask of a guy about these subjects? Hmm. And, and it could be like, it could, you, you, keep in mind, you're not going to insult me. You could ask a question that, that betrayed a, uh, you know, that might betray some level of, of exasperation with the way guys look at things or whatever. Like, I, I, I won't take offense. But is there ever, do you have any di- like burning questions about why do you guys always have to blank? Hmm. I think I would, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but I would, ask men to think twice before they um, maybe even just sort of subconsciously are, if they're in a situation with a woman outside, um, telling her to to be careful or, I don't know, to me, be more encouraging of actually taking risks and putting herself out there. And instead of... You don't like the, the protector stance. I mean, no, not beyond what anybody would, you know, watch their buddies back out there. Okay. Um, yeah. It's like the pocket knife thing. I don't need somebody to tell me to be careful with it. And I, or, um, you know, I used to go, I, I'm a runner and I worked in the South for a while and for whatever reason this happened even more there, but I'd be running at night often and men would constantly stop and, you know, Asked me if I needed a ride and wasn't I scared of bears? <laughs> that would cre- creep me out. Exactly, exactly. And I'd be like, no, I'm not scared of bears. And in my head, I'm thinking, but you, when people slow down and stop like this, this is what. Yeah, freaks you on me the out. other hand. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting kind of yeah. So, um, I think it's it's not even conscious for a lot of people, but this sort of just protective it's not even that it's worry that's palpable from men i'd rather just it be assumed that i got this i'll ask for help if i need it we kind of covered this earlier but i just want to double check on something do you feel that when a guy does that thing the little lady you ought to know it's dangerous out here do you feel that it's a that it's coming from an honest place normally or do you feel that it is a way of that it is a way of like asserting a sort of dominance is a little bit strong of a word, but it's a way of like letting you know how he feels about what he's seeing. Or do you think it's like he's honestly concerned about my well being? I think that it's usually from that place of honestly being concerned, okay. but it's, it's, it um, is coming from that's, it's coming from a naive place. Yeah. Um, and it comes off as sort of patronizing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I Every conversation that. I have on the trail with anybody ends with have fun, be safe. Yeah. But that's yeah, a different kind of be safe. Yeah. That's like a see you later. Yeah. Yeah. But I say it to everybody. Yeah. Day, we were trick or treating. We trick or treated the fire barn. As I walked off, I was like, Thanks a lot, guys. Be safe, man. No, I don't think those guys, like, that guy really patronized us. It was just, it was like a sign-off. You're telling me all these kids can't be safe? <laughs> Wait, like, when I, when I, like, my buddies are taking off, I give them the finger. 
It's just like I'm just saying, hey, you know, <laughs> be safe. <laughs> it's just you're just saying, what's up? <laughs> See ya. And that's kind. I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I say, you know, I tell people to drive safe, be safe, whatever, all the all the time. So it's not. That's why these things are. It's hard to describe and hard to talk about because I couldn't probably point to every single instance and be like, he was being really, I mean, sometimes it's blatant. You can tell that they're talking down to you or patronizing it, but I couldn't um, tell you the motivation between, uh, behind every one of these events, but as when it's your whole life and it's, it's a pattern um, and it's just, they're, they're just slight things that um, you might even be questioning like, oh, what, what did he mean by that? But it, it's um, hard to, it's, it's hard to maybe put your finger on what the motivation was oh, because I, there yeah, are so many you. people who are just, you know, be safe out there or whatever. And it's totally coming from a good place, but it's the, it's the pattern of it. It's the, it's stacking up over oh, here. Living life. and growing up in uh, around old men and hunting camps, you're a hundred percent like it very real and happening all the time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There's a word. It's not new. Um, and it's kind of like coming into its own now where you'll see it like all the time. But uh, like the word mansplaining, you familiar with oh, this? Oh, yeah. Does that bug you? Mansplaining for people who don't. Mansplaining is there's this idea that men explain things to women differently than they explain things to men where they explain things as though they're talking to a dumb child. Yeah, or just as, assuming even that just that it needs to be explained. Yeah. The funny like, well, little lady, <laughs> let me tell you, the bucks right. rut the does. Yeah, and that, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just learned that word this summer. Okay. Um, and funnily enough, a woman was describing it to me, and then a man. Mansplained to you? Mansplained, mansplaining <laughs> to me, right there. Um, but it is a good word to describe... <laughs> <laughs> Something that's that does great. You happen had a man. A you had a mansplain, mansplaining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's bothersome. For example, this just a couple weeks ago, my mom and I were out hiking and ran into somebody coming down the trail, and he stops and we're chatting, and I interrupt him to because there's a peregrine falcon, and I was pointing. I said, "Oh, look, peregrine falcon, whatever," and he says, "Nope, that's actually a." Uh, a Harris hawk um, and starts describing to me that, that I've misidentified it and he starts telling me about this hawk and he was totally wrong. <laughs> it was a falcon and I, but you know, I didn't want to get into it so I just let him mansplain it to me. But both my mom and I, she's a great birder just internally rolling. You didn't offer up this. a correction? No, and he, he started to get into, well, they used to be called uh, and he started to say swamp hawks, which is not correct. It's marsh hawks. And I sort of corrected him there. But he <laughs> then didn't even catch on that maybe I knew something about what I was talking about. And he continued to. So you guys were having a little a, a know-how showdown. Mm, with some mansplaining. Yeah. I mean, I basically just let him go on about it. Just but, let him be a guy. Yeah. But my mom and I definitely afterwards were just like, you know. So then you and your mom, you and your mom, it was enough that you and your mom then later. Oh yeah. We talked about it later. It was t so blatant and he was so wrong that we were so So right. you're kind of like <laughs> there, like there. 
Yep. That's what I'm talking Shining about. Shining example. When I'm talking about a woman in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the experience. Yep. Can't be. Yeah. Yanni? So I think we, we, I don't know if we covered it or not. We kind of, you kind of said, I liked when you said like, you know, we bring, we might bring different things to the table, but we want to be treated equal at the table. So you've had like a lot of hunting experiences now with guys and as a female, have you hunted much with other females? Nope. No. No. But like, so do you, do you feel like, is there a different experience to be had there? I, um, I mean, I certainly cannot speak for all women and I, um, if there is, I haven't identified it or I don't feel like I in particular bring something special as a woman. I think I, yeah, not being, not that it has to be special, but just that it's blessing. You're not blessing the woods with your presence in some special way or or like changing hunting in, in any way with some fresh female perspective or that the deer you shoot feel better about having been shot by a woman. No, I don't think they give a the gentle hand. <laughs> yeah. Sure glad I was a lady that blew a hole through my side. That's the same gal that was spooning me last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, like, Jesus, she hot and cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was like my big takeaway when I sat around chatting with the uh, gals from the office, Brittany and Nicole and Annie. I don't know who else was there that time, but it's sort of like we went through like their year of hunting that fall. And I, we were kind of having the same conversation. And in the end, I was like, yeah, it kind of sounds like you guys just had all a bunch of like beginner like hunting stories this year, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, maybe there will be some women out there that do bring a special feminine perspective. And I look forward to hearing what that mm. is. But You're I don't feel like, it? yeah, I just don't. You're not hostile to it. No, I'm not hostile to it. Okay, uh, I forgot one thing I forgot to ask. We started out, so you don't have to go into great detail. This year was a shitty hunting year? Or, or No, no, it was great. You got something? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so this year I shot a buck all by myself um, no alone husband. on the mountain for the first time, which was, that felt really good. What was your husband doing, working? Uh, no, he was packing for our trip to Idaho because we went, so we did. So you're like, you pack and yeah. I'll head out. yeah. So this year's story was we did um, the high hunt. So in Washington, there's in September, there's a week long high hunt. Um, and that was a re- it was a really fun year. It was hard because we were having a um, huge wildfire. It ended up burning 270,000 acre- acres, mostly in the Pasayan wilderness, which okay. is our big wilderness area to, um, to hunt for the high hunt. That's where we've hunted before. Can you explain high hunt? So that's, it's in certain, only in certain wilderness areas. Um, wilderness areas tend to be the highest, nastiest yep. portions of the fort, national yeah. forest. Yeah, system. there might even be an elevation requirement. Of Some states have a, ele- like you guys talk about, a, is, is, it a hunt, is there a hunt in Colorado that has to be above 10,000 yeah. feet? Yeah, like in the regs, is it called the high hunt? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, really? I, think, wow. no, I think they call it, yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah. And right, but have you ever heard like like what's that Colorado hunt where they you cannot hunt below ten thousand feet? Yeah, there's like an early season mule deer wilderness tag, and it's for ten thousand feet and up. But I think I could be wrong, but I feel like these do they say that, or does it just say the wilderness areas which happen to be real high? I I don't remember. I don't know. I think 
Uh, well, in our area, yes, we're fine in all of our in all of our wilderness areas where you can hunt. But I don't know about other areas in the state Kay. if there's an elevation thing. Um, but anyway, so we kind of had to be on our toes. So we ended up um, hiking into areas that we'd never been and and hunting, and um, we had a blast. It was it was awesome. But neither of us uh, had the stars aligned to get a buck. Did you see bucks? Yeah. Yep. How many? We saw bucks. Let's see. We went. We actually ended up backpacking into three different spots. Um, in the first spot, I think we saw uh, four. And, and why couldn't you get one? Because you're seeing them way off. The first, we saw a little. Um, there was a little group the night before opening, and they were way off. Uh, went up to where they were for the opening day of the high hunt, and um, ended up jumping one buck and, and didn't see any others that day. And then I saw another one that trip. Uh, just for a second and it disappeared into the, into the trees. Lots of hunters? Nope. Kay. We didn't see any other hunters. That's that's one of the really great things about the high hunt is there's a lot of people coming and hunt in the Okanagan, in Okanagan County um, because it's great. There's a big mule deer herd there but you have to work to get away from people. Um, but but that, you, And but so the high be, hunt kind of does that for yeah, you. Yeah, I see, I see. Yeah. So um, then you guys are going to go hunt Idaho? And he's like, I'll pack, you hunt. Yeah, so well, so that so we did the high hunt. We hunted really hard, had a great time, didn't get any deer. So then we both could still hunt during general. Because if you get something during the high hunt, you can't hunt during general. General, we backpacked in, pretty much did another high hunt. Um, and my husband got a deer. And um, so that was really fun. And then we, we, we came back from, from that particular trip and had a couple days before we left for our I- Idaho trip. And so um, I wanted to just hunt till the bitter end. So he had to pack and I just went off hunting by myself. Just behind our house, there's a bunch of state land and um, found a little buck and, uh, and I... I stared at it and I had, so now I was in that position again of here's the last couple moments where you're, my mind was racing and, and having all these doubts. And I just, uh, finally told myself that I'm going to have these doubts every single time. I just need to pull my socks up and, and I knew that I had it, you know, in part of my brain, I just needed to shut those doubts down and, um, and I did it. And I got it. So so that felt good. I felt like a hurdle I'd finally cleared. So a deer all by yourself. Yep. Make, having do getting through those those final moments by my by myself with without no, someone being without, like, shoot him, shoot him. Yeah, without somebody, you know, saying, You're good, go for it. So yeah, so we got so I got that deer and then next day we left for Idaho and um and that was an incredible trip really worked really hard um i only had an elk tag and my um husband had an elk and a deer and my brother-in-law did as well and they both got a uh, nice mule deer and um we never caught up with the elk but we we learned a lot about the area and had a blast so so that Good. was a really cool trip too yeah oh yanni presented it to me like it was some kind of disaster oh no not a disaster at all i mean we worked really hard you know, maybe that's the part he caught. Yeah, arduous. Arduous. Yeah, we were hiking in. You know, I think our first camp was thirteen miles and in, and we stayed there and hunted hard. And it's, I mean, it's rugged 
country and uh, in the Cascades. So, but yeah, Man, it was good. So when, what time of year did you hit, to, hit Idaho? Uh, last week of October. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it was for me coming from Washington, going there, the number of deer that we were seeing, it was insane. And, and some it, big wide open. Some big wide open, yep. And just, it was so cool to be seeing that many bucks every day. And it felt like, compared to <laughs> our bucks that are Idaho, sorry. man. <laughs> Ryan's just cringing over here. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you what, Stop. if I oh was playing. God, the levels are all out of whack on this I have shit. heard enough <laughs> where I know that if I was playing the hunting trip, I would be headed to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Screw Colorado. Just unbelievable amounts of bucks everywhere you look. And hell. we can trust Carmen because she's a woman. <laughs> when Steve's and talking about Colorado, he's they're lying. They're forecasting and another hellacious winter. The thing we know about the gentler sex is that they do not lie. <laughs> no, okay, I'm not saying... This is... Bucks this is everywhere. In comparison. <laughs> in comparison. So, yeah. In comparison, Big it was... Big bucks, too. Oh. <laughs> Can't trust just, these women hunters. Just giant. Everybody knows that. Cal, be careful out there. <laughs> There's a lot of big bucks out there that could hurt you. What are you doing with that pocket knife? <laughs> you shouldn't have that. <laughs> you get that. Who gave that to you? Um, so it's all the greatest. You guys are eating all kinds of deer meat. Yep. Yeah. A lot of deer meat. You guys, you guys, you guys eat mule deer then. You guys are eating mule deer right oh, yeah. now, mostly. Yep. You guys like the flavor? Uh-huh. I mean, it is. So that first buck that I got was a buck i mean as you i was walking up to it i could smell that that goatee smell that was that was a strong one yeah but it's not on the but meat. it wasn't oh yeah the whole thing tasted goatee it did yeah it did what are you calling it goatee like kind of a barnyardy sort of really? yeah from, and that year it was from a ruddy from a rut mm-hmm. yeah hmm. i that year yeah you sure yep oh, I'm did, positive. You get, did you get like you could smell it as it was cooking it really? as i was cooking it yeah Right. Yep. Right. And that, that year, but I remember... But still tasted fine, right? I mean, it tasted strong. I mean, we ate it. It was really? great. But yeah, yeah. So just walking up to it, you were like, holy moly. I Yeah, and that year, um, out hiking for work, there were at least two times when I smelled a buck before I saw it. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Just this real barnyard goatee kind of smell. But the Idaho ones... I heard bucks are great in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> All the bucks we got this year are delicious, but they were not, they, you know, they didn't, you couldn't smell them when you were up at them. They weren't already smelling. Yeah. Yeah. What was the date of the one you shot in Washington? You felt it was like rotted out pretty good. Um, it was, it was mid-October. It, that was a strange year. That year is what a lot of people in the Valley refer to as the slaughter of 2015 because for whatever reason, bucks started migrating down into the Valley earlier, maybe because it was a really dry summer. I don't know, but um, they started migrating down really early and um, it seemed like they started getting ready earlier and they were just, it was a slaughter. So people were killing. Because deer just showing up everywhere. Yeah, that was twenty. Were, that was twenty fifteen. Yeah, people not the, were not killing. Not this past hunting season. Right. Yeah. 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 This past hunting season, people have done, I think, pretty poorly. It seems like so. Yeah. It's just one of those things, but. Right. Yeah. Well, congrats on your first solo deer. Thanks. Yeah. That's cool. Felt good. 
Yeah, it's about as small of a deer as could be legal in Washington. But still <laughs> ruddy. That's fine. No, no, not this one. No. Oh. That was, so the 2015. Oh, was the ruddy buck. Yeah, this one was. you already a, ate that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. what's the new one? So that's a just tiny, delicious buck. I see. Yeah. All right, all yeah. right good. I thought you were saying you got a whole bunch of eating ahead of you. No. That's all behind you now. Yeah. Yes. Polish it off. Now you're moving on to the good one. Yep. Yep. And then have you guys eaten any of the meat off the bucks that were killed in Idaho? Mm-hmm. Yep. They're great. Yep. Good. Yeah. Yep. Kale? I'm just wondering. Did I ever ask you if you had any final thoughts? I'm just wondering uh, where, about where the- you're taking me hunting next. Now that your place is burned out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'll ta- I, I, I'll I'll answer that, and I have some thoughts and questions, but I'm going to not do them. On congratulations, that. thank you, and uh, lots of milestones to come, huh? And yeah. obviously, uh, when did you guys start going out of state for hunts? Uh, my husband has gone elk hunting for his whole life out of state. Um, this was my first time. Nice. Yeah. But adding some more days to the year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Does, yeah. He, does he kill elk in Washington, too? Uh, he has, yeah. 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 And then, real quick, I might have asked you this before. Um, would you or uh, do you have interest or not in bear hunting? I don't. This is not an invitation. Right. Yeah. I don't personally. You're a have, baker. Oh, then the Water, bear fat? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I've done that with a roadkill. No, it wasn't a roadkill. It was a um, a bear call. I've done. Sweet. It's good. But I just, um, I think we maybe talked about this yeah, last we time. Yeah, like, just don't look at it. You don't look at it and see a game animal. I've just, yeah, I've done so much bear work and, you know, cub counts and you're dealing with their cubs and I, it's just. Yeah. It's a special, it's a special critter. There's yeah. a lot of people I know that are lifelong. Cold-blooded hunters yeah, can who you, just I think don't be- want to hunt bears, man. They're like, a lot of guys I know that got a bear, too. And my brother put it, uh, one of my brothers put it, he quit bear hunting when he got a bear and walked up to it. And his first sort of feeling, because, you know, the hide is beautiful, right? So you can't just, like, ditch the hide. But it's expensive to get him tanned. And it used to be like, sweet, you know? get the bear get to eat the bear have a bear rug or bear hide for whatever mm-hmm. but he said he walked out to one and his first feeling was oh man mm. and he's like then i just knew i was done yeah mm-hmm. yeah just knew i was, the minute i calculated like i gotta spend money to get the t- thing tanned because it'd be wasteful to not and he just took that as his thing that wrapping her up on bear hunt yeah yeah that makes sense carmen do you have because, and you guys chime in, obviously, but you're a seasoned hunter now, right? Like 10 years I've, doing things the hard way. Uh-huh. You're like, well, um, I was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got some successes, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, do you feel like um, now you're kind of working up to something else? Um, yeah, well, elk. I'm really looking forward to getting my first elk. Um we always put in for all kinds of tags. I'm, I really want to go moose hunting. I'd love to go sheep hunting. There's tons of things I'd love to do. Um, but I'm also just, I just want to get, um, good at high country 
mule deer hunting because that's what yeah, where we live is, is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's what you know we've yeah i love we spend the summer scouting and and hiking around in the high country and um yeah that that part's just really got me in the gitter and i'm yeah. want to do that so yeah i want to get good at that me too yeah can you explain it last time you explained that sort of uh graph the, the sliding curve that you have for when oh, an, yeah. an, an animal goes from being yeah. like food and then i forget what the to x axis to, yeah so there's there's your your and it's i imagine it as being different for everybody you've got your x axis which is a, a order of animals and it might for example start with mosquitoes something you want to kill and it might end with like your mom something you really don't want to kill. And then there's two lines and one is kind of your, I think of it as like uh, empathy. And that, that line climbs to a point where you you cannot set that aside and you just could not kill something. And then there's the want to kill, want to hunt, want to you know engage in some sort of predator, prey relationship, want to eat it line. And so where those intersect is where things get fuzzy. Oftentimes that's maybe embarrassed for people, it seems like. And then above that is things you just couldn't bring yourself to, to kill. And that, that line for me um, gets blurry or gets... The empathy line climbs when I've worked mm. a lot and, and know a lot about animal and a species. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking on the flight over here, I had a, a very agitated gal that I was riding next to um, for reasons unknown. And uh, I had a stewardess or a flight attendant, and I was working her tail off. And uh, But she had, like, whacked me with the cart. And I was trying to avoid the gal to my right because she definitely needed some space. But so I got whacked with the cart really hard. And I kind of looked up at this gal and she looked at me like, get the hell out of the way. I th just wanted to ask her, when did you lose your empathy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably doesn't take long in service business sometimes. <laughs> but that's not necessarily just being around the critter that you're dealing with, right? Right. Well, I mean, I don't know, under, understanding and and maybe um, it gets harder to objectify them. Yeah, like if you studied squid, you might get burned out on eating squid or find them not appetizing, but it wouldn't be like, oh, I studied squid so much that I now feel real bad eating a squid. Right. I'm not sure that would happen with a squid for me. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's like, it has but, to be like a different kind yeah. of... Yeah. Well, yeah. So for like um, beavers, I worked on a beaver project, a really cool project in the Met Howe for a couple years. That um, it's st it's still happening. It's a beaver uh, relocation project, and a beaver I feel like is is one of those animals that people uh, underappreciate. But through this project, I just um, have kind of fallen in love with them. Just learning and sort of taking time to recognize what they do because this project, um, so our job was to, there'd be, 
landowners that might call that live down on, on the river or on the ditch system or whatever, and they have problem beavers. And so usually those are just lethally removed. Well, in the Methow, just like a lot of the West, beavers were, you know, trapped out. And um, 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, right. Over 100 years ago. Yeah, and in a lot of places they've had a hard time reestablishing um, themselves. And so in the Methow, there's all these high country creeks and stuff that used to have beavers in them, creating a vastly different landscape. So we had these little creeks that would then have um, just sprawling wetland beaver establishments um, just sort of punctuating these streams with all this fabulous habitat that is, you know, waterfowl habitat, fish habitat, fawning habitat, um, and then not to mention that those beaver establishments hold water back, and so the snow melt-off doesn't just rush off the mountain. And so everybody downstream benefits by a, a slower release of, of the melt-off every year, and maybe that stream doesn't dry up. Um, and there's also evidence that, that holding the water in, in ponds... Um, keeps the creek at a lower temperature for, for fish because that water's sinking down into the ground. Then when it, when it comes up later, it's, it's still really cold. Gotcha. Um, so the aim of this project is to take those problem beavers and then um, by live trapping them, and then we would um, actually hold them in a fish hatchery facility until we could get like a family group um, and then release them up in the high country in areas that could benefit from basically restoration of, of the creeks. Um, and so we'd release them and hopefully they would, they would stick. Um, anyway, but the point is, is that beavers, I feel like are, are often really underappreciated, but, um, they are actually now I know just nuggets of gold. Um, and so that's something that I personally maybe didn't think about much before, but, um, my empathy line is, has, gone way up for these these critters because what they do is just so it's instant gratification it's the most important it's the most important animal to american history america yeah. was built on that animal. right yeah yeah america's first homegrown millionaire made his fortunes yeah yeah trading in beaver hides yeah but they're also really important for our for our landscapes yeah. but yeah pooter andrew mm-hmm. andrew pooter <laughs> you have any final um well it's been interesting it's been a pleasure to listen to your stories Sorry, feeling good about everything yeah i didn't contribute much but it i was, don't care it's good to listen just want to make sure you have that you feel welcome to join. good presence yeah thanks yanni i'm done i already had my closing thought cal I, i'm i think i'm there too tapped I out there's some good stuff though carmen um can i make a bha plug yeah, for, just lay it on us, okay. man. I don't give it. Yeah, that's great. So I um, have. Um, You're just gonna make the rest of us look bad. That we <laughs> do a BHA plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm working on uh, growing a little community of BHA members in the Metha Valley because it is such an important, maybe you know, probably the most important mule deer hunting place in the state. Um, and it is such a unique landscape with all this wilderness and everything else. Um, so trying to get a, a BHA um, community sort of established there. Um, and it's also... BHA means Backcountry Hunters yes. and Anglers, which is yep. a, a, a nonprofit you. conservation group. Right. That, uh, you can tell them. 
Right. Keeping public land public and, um, and managed appropriately. And so we uh, have an issue with a mining company in the valley um, wanting to put in a Canadian mining company, wanting to put in a big copper mine on our, our Forest Service land. Um, and so our Washington chapter is um, supporting a mineral withdrawal, which is legislation that would protect uh, 340 million acres of our headwaters from not only this copper mine, but any future mining claims. And um, anyway, so our, our chapter is supporting this mineral withdrawal. Um, but I just want to encourage anybody who is from Washington, especially if they come maybe from the west side of the state to hunt out in the Met Howe to um, check out our Washington chapter and get involved. And we're going to have some volunteer stuff coming up this spring. And um, people who hunt out there can, can work on the landscape a little bit with us, too. And a headwaters issue is everybody's issue. Yep. Because yep. everybody's downstream. Yep. Yeah. Good plug. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, Carmen Van Bianchi. That's right, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us, Carmen. Thank you. And we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. 